0: right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to James chapter 2. I'm excited about going through the book of James. It's been a a fun deal. Uh, This last week... Uh, Major League Baseball has been in the crosshairs because we expect within the worldwide uh, or the wide world of sports that uh, we play within the rules, right? I mean, that's an expectation that uh, whatever we do, it's within the rules of the game. And of course, uh, there's been a big scandal between the Red Sox and the Astros, is that right? Um, Steals or sign stealing. Stealing. You know uh, the ten commandments even cover that we don't steal uh, even if it's a sign uh in in the hands or whatever but there was a big uh, deal about that this last week uh If you're a basketball fan and happen to be a Kansas basketball fan, everybody's kind of uh, that's in that camp holding their breath because we know there have been some charges filed against our great program and in specific against our great coach, right? And so we're just waiting for the trials and the things to happen, which we expect in the next year to find out what is the fate of a basketball team. Have they been playing with Inside the Rules? Yeah, all i got to say is deflate-a-gate, right? Did anybody see the great meme this week that Bilicek hired the staff from the Astros? I mean, that, I just wanted to laugh at that. That was a really good meme. Uh, it wasn't real, uh, but it was a real good meme. And so, uh, you know, we even like to make fun of and poke fun at those who do not play within the rules, those who are known for, for cheating. I could go on and on. Cheating in sports is not anything new, Here's a fun scandal for the record book that I found in the Encyclopedia Britannica. The marathon course at the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis, Missouri, was called the most difficult a human being was ever asked to run over. In addition to steep hills traffic roaming wild dogs, the runners had to deal with soaring temperatures and humidity, perhaps, understandably, the American runner, Fred Lores, decided to rest after completing nine miles, 14.5 kilometers, hitching a ride for the next 11, 17.7 kilometers. When the car allegedly broke down, Lores got out and began running again, and he won the event. However, his cheating was quickly discovered, and an ailing Thomas Hicks, who had been given strychnine, Egg whites and brandy during the the race was declared the winner. Isn't that great? Wow! In sports, in sports and in races, it's no longer surprising when we hear of scandals and cheating, isn't it? It's almost this expectation of, oh, they're next. And it's just this continuous deal. It doesn't matter, are they, have they been doping? Have they been uh, cheating? What, you know, what are they doing to get an, advent, an advantage? Did they pay somebody off? Even uh, in the Olympics uh, a few years back, they decided in badminton to do a round robin. And there were a couple of teams uh, out of Asia that were obviously losing a couple of games to seed themselves better at the way they perceived a better seating in the tournament uh, of of what was going to happen after the round robin round so that they could kind of pick their opponent, so to speak, instead of competing uh, at a high level and trying to win every game. The reality is this. We must acknowledge that all of us have broken a rule at some point in life, and especially the rules presented by God in his law through this great race that we call life. And James lets us know in the text today this truth. We must clean up our racing if we want to finish well. If you want to finish this life well in a right relationship with God, it's going to require us to clean up our racing. We're going to consider today three reasons we must clean it up. The first is in the first eight verses of James chapter 2, if you'll go there with me. In James chapter 2, we begin reading... These words. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place. And yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you've dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Here's the point. James is using an inductive process to tell us that the, one of the areas that we need to clean up our race, uh, and one of the reasons that we need to clean it up is because we are lacking in our love for neighbor. We as a people often lack in our love for neighbor. Or our love for neighbor is lacking, is the way I worded it. Sorry. James continues to come back to this theme of God's way is like this, our way and the world's way is not quite to God's standard. We started seeing that in chapter 1. You're going to see this theme recur all the way through this letter to us as we're trying to remember what does a relationship with God look like and how does that affect my relationship with people. And here, James is showing us that, look, our lack of, Of love, your neighbor is very evident. And he just uses one little example. Uh, For instance, guys, uh, you need to clean this up. This little area over here, this is right on the heels. Remember what he said at the end of chapter 1? That if we want to have pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, we need to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep ourselves unstained from the world. And then he jumps right into this. What does a stain from the world looks like? It looks like lacking in our love for neighbor. The example he lays out is our show of favoritism. And we're guilty, right? We do it. Somebody walks into our place of employment and we have judged them based on appearance, haven't we? Somebody walks in, even to a church, and we judge them based on their appearance. First Uh, Time, appearances matter. We even discussed that last week, right? The the top two reasons why people spend four to six hours a week in the grooming process is so that they can feel good about themselves and make a first-time impression on other people because they know this fundamental reality. When I walk in a room for the first time, somebody's eyes are going to be on me, and they are going to judge me. It's the swimming uh, pool uh, mantra. Everybody's worried about what they're going to wear to the swimming pool, because they're worried about what people are going to think about them. But, but this is just an encouragement. The next time you're worried about that and, and how you're dressed and where you're going, they're more concerned about what they're wearing than what you're wearing. Isn't that a freeing reminder? That they are so caught up in themselves, they're more worried about what they look like. So you just got to be you. But yeah, that's easy to say, right? Because we wear the flesh, though we know how the world works. And people live in the realm and in the world of favoritism, even individually, based on all kinds of things. It's not just based on economy. We do it uh, based on race. We do it based on gender. We do it based on uh, height. Ask me how I know at 5'8", right? So it is what it is. The shoulders ahead, uh, people, they get a little extra privilege in, in some ways in life. You know, ask me if I feel bad about that. But based on all kinds of things, it's not just one thing or another. And you know what? We don't just do it individually, though, do we? We also do it corporately. I prayed about whether or not I should share this. I'm going to share it. We're all aware of the fire to the Bruce family's home in our community a month and a half ago, right? Our church even went and helped them move um, Amy Bruce's mom. And the community showed up in a big way, raised over $6,000 for them, and the community should do that. Very few people in our community know that within a couple weeks after that, there was another fire that happened in our community. But it happened in the trailer park. Did you hear of a fundraiser for that one? Corporately, we show favoritism. Our beautiful community is not immune to this reality. Let's not get started on systematic inequality that happens even in the Kansas City metropolitan area. I'd say because of that even here in our community. The reality is that we want to define our neighbors. And James reminds us that as long as we are showing favoritism in our lives, if we do it in our church, if we do it in our communities, if we do it in our culture, we are lacking in our love for our neighbors and we must clean up our racing. That's all that James is pointing out, that look, we think we're doing well. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he says, what what must I do to enjoy eternal life? And Jesus tells him, uh, have you obeyed the Ten Commandments? All of them, Jesus, all of them. Well, he says, uh, he, he says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Maybe you showed favoritism to another one that's that come to him, says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Remember that one. He says, love the Lord, you got all your heart, soul, mind and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that guy had the boldness to say, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And after that, Jesus told the story of the, of the good Samaritan. That even the person that we hate the most and that in the the greatest need, yeah, that's the person that we need to love. That's who our neighbor is. But we want to have control over our neighbor, right? We want to define who our neighbor is. My neighbor is who I've decided to be my neighbor. And we, we base it on location. The people in my neighborhood are my neighbor's. The people that I work with or maybe share the cubicles around me or maybe my boss and just a few people at work, these are my neighbors. And, hey, I always sit in these seats at church. And so my neighbors, I know the names of the people within the six seats around me. We do the greeting time, so I've gotten to know them, so we're good to go. and shake their hands because uh, we're creatures of habit, right? How many of you guys sit in the same seats every week? Okay. Will you do me a favor? If anybody ever comes in these doors, because this is the truth, our, our guests and our visitors, and if that's you, I apologize that I'm being this transparent, our guests and our visitors come, come into the auditorium first. Those that are with us kind of hang out and chat with each other, right? The people that are part of the family. And so if a guest ever comes in and sits in your seat, please don't tell them that's my seat because I have, been, I have been a part of a church in the past that that thing has happened. And friends, if we are so concerned about this seat that we ourselves did not pay for, or even if we feel like we paid for it, we did not pay for it at the level that Jesus Christ and Him crucified paid for it. We cannot show favors, and We've got to clean up our race. The why behind this first point is made even clearer in the context of the second reason to clean up our racing. Let's look at it in verses 8 through 11. This is what we read. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak. Oops, I'm going to stop there. My point here, the second reason why. uh, What's my power statement? The second reason for cleaning up our racing is that the law is unified in its entirety. The second reason for cleaning up our racing is that the law is unified in its entirety. Where do we find the royal law to love our neighbors in verse 8? It tells us. It's prescribed in the scriptures, right? This isn't something that James pulled out of his hat. This is something that Jesus quoted from the Old Testament scriptures. This is not even just a New Testament thing. Jesus verbatim shared a command that was already given to the Israelites in the Old Testament. This is not new to God. God has always wanted us to love our neighbor as ourselves. It is prescribed in the Scriptures. If you missed last week, I invite you to meditate this week. This is what I mean by that. Spend time to slowly read and think about each phrase in James chapter 1, verses 19 to 26. If you do that like four or five times all the way through, maybe at your bed every night, if you've not been reading the Bible, just over those eight verses, 19 through 26 of James chapter 1, so the verses right before this, sift those. In those verses, you will find some self-evaluation reminders with a clear image in the middle of making sure that we are using the Word of God, our perfect law of freedom, which is the standard to evaluate ourselves from. Again, here, James reminds us of the unity and the universality of the Holy Scriptures. They are entirely connected. If we are keeping all of them, except that little one that only us and God know about, we've broken it all. Because the law is unified. We didn't just break a part of the law, we broke the law. We are law breakers, and that includes every one of us, good as we are, right? If those verses, uh, are in those verses, we're reminded of our of our need to evaluate based on this. We like to parade ourselves, though, around letting people know how good we are. I keep 90% of them, right? I mean, there's a list of 10, I I keep 90%, maybe maybe some of us are okay with being average. I keep seven out of the 10 commandments, you know? I mean, uh, it's passing grade. It doesn't matter, this is the reality. Whatever grade we wanna give ourselves, Jesus does not grade on a scale that includes grades. He grades pass and fail, and as long as we usurp God and break His law, we prove both our weakness and the solidarity of Scriptures, which are good. Though we, ourselves, are not good. This perfect law of freedom, this royal law prescribed in Scriptures and in its entirety, The more we study it, the more we recognize our need for mercy and for grace. It's the reason why even in love your neighbor, if I love most of my neighbors, but I show favoritism that one, I've still broken the law in its entirety. That's a steep word, isn't it? If we're going to clean up our racing, another reason to do so uh, is found in verses 12 and 13. Let's cover those. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The third reason is this we will all stand trial. I don't know if you caught that or not, but we're all going to face judgment someday. James here makes it clear for us the reason we should evaluate ourselves from scriptures is because the Scriptures are the standard by which we'll be judged. The reason why I I challenge us to be readers of this book, because I don't want you to be limited to my 25, 30 minutes a week that I'm able to give you from this. I want your faith not to be through the filter of Jeremiah Holcomb. I want your faith to be in Jesus Christ and Him crucified because of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ and Him crucified that requires a little bit of time. If you read one chapter a day, you'll read this book in three and a half years. If you read this book for 15 minutes a day, reading three and a half chapters a day, you will read this book in a year. And it is worth it. It is worth the time. And it doesn't matter if it takes three and a half years. It doesn't matter if it takes six months. I know people that have eaten this word in three months because they were so hungry to know what God says. And for some of us, we get into a season where this feeding it needs to be deep, where we just can't get enough of this because God just speaks through it, and we're going, "Man, God, I have not been doing what you asked me to do." And others they go, "Wow, I got questions. This is weird. I don't understand this. We're sacrificing animals all over the place, and I don't, I don't get it." And when you get those questions, ask them because the first few times. Uh, we just had our Xander turn one. I got some great pictures of his, of his. Uh, what do you call the smash cake, right? The dude did it right. I mean, he all over himself, all over the kitchen. We even had some in the carpet. Uh, it was just like, and that's like 10 feet away. I mean, he was shaking it. It was like, you know, shake it off, whatever their song, I, guess, I don't know. But he was doing it. But I think that a lot of us, we... Our, one time, our first time in the Scriptures is just like a one-year-old with a smash cake, we get more on us than we get in us? And that's okay. It's okay to get it on you, but if we're going to get it in us, we've got to mature past a one-year Christian or a first-time reader of the book. We're going to have to read this again and again because that first time, we're just finding the ingredients. Oh, that's what frosting is. Oh, that's what cake is. Oh, this is why they go together and it tastes better. Okay. We get it. In Romans chapter 3, I shared with you 21 through 24. This is what we read in verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whenever, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law. So that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. What's the job of the law? To point out the fact that we are sinful. Who's subject to that law? Those who subject themselves to the law and everybody. And the reality is that is the standard by which we're going to be judged. Ignorance is no longer going to be something that we can go to Jesus with and say, Ah, oh, but I, I just didn't know. In Romans chapter 1, go back to that book, Romans chapter 1, he says he's revealed himself to everybody so that nobody has an excuse. Not only that, in Acts chapter 16-ish, forgive me for not knowing the chapter verse, Paul is preaching to the, uh, I believe, the elders in Ephesus and it could even be before that, but he makes the statement that no longer is God gonna be okay with our ignorance, but everyone's required to repent. No longer can we play the agnostic card and say, well, I didn't believe because I didn't know. That's kinda like your kids that, you know, you punish them for something you've never told them, but it's an inherent expectation, right? Or I told them six months ago, and so it happened. And so they're going, well, why, why am I in trouble? You, know? you never said it like that. Or I didn't connect this, that, with that. But because I'm your parent, I'm, I care about you. I want to keep you safe. So I want you to know that it's going to hurt a little bit, because I don't want it to hurt a lot bit the more you do that bit. 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 See? That's the challenge of parenting. And so put yourselves into God's seat. He's sitting here going, look, I've revealed myself to mankind, and yet mankind still, in an educated culture even, is, is okay with not knowing me. Can you imagine those cultures that still lack the educational levels that we have? They need the minister to communicate with them. So that minister needs to probably preach six and seven days a week so he can feed uh, the people. But man, I don't want you limited to my faith. I want to be faithful to these holy scriptures, and we're going to see why in a couple weeks, why that's imperative. But as we even discussed last week, all of us as Christ followers are going to be held and judged by this standard. Therefore, we've got to know this book because it is the standard that we are going to be tried by, and we, friends, will all stand trial. I'm going to skip the next verse for time that I have on the screen. The Scriptures, there are plenty of other Scriptures that point out this idea of the Scriptures being the the standard and us being sinful. So the Scriptures, the Bible is a standard. Notice in this text in James chapter 2, Who the judge is, it's God. It's not a church, it's not Christians. The judge is God, Jesus Christ himself. But also notice this, he wants to offer us freedom through his mercy, which he values over judgment. And that's true when we are wronged. When we are wronged, God wants us to be merciful to those who've wronged us. More than to judge them, but this does not give us a license to keep on sinning. This isn't a sin license. How do you know? Look at verse 12, "Speak and act, like those are going to be tried or those who are to be judged by what? By the law of freedom. And so we need to act on our faith. We need to live what we say we believe. And we're going to see that more in the text next week. But the point is this. We are to speak and act like we're going to be judged, meaning when we've received the mercy from God, it should motivate us to live differently and to speak on behalf of that difference so that the more we spend time in Christ and in relationship with Christ, the more our story becomes His story and what He did for us and in us and through us. Why do I love my my neighbor? Not because my neighbor asked me to love my neighbor. Because I still, in the flesh, want to show favoritism. I love my neighbor because I was commanded by my Savior and my God to love my neighbor. And when we understand that relationship from that that way, when we are subject to Him, all of a sudden we understand that when I was at my worst, Jesus was loving me at my best. When I didn't deserve Him, I got all of Him and the best of Him. And on account of that, I'm compelled now to love my neighbor as myself. And that's going to make me look and live differently. Selfishly, we often come to texts like this one and we agree That a finish line focus requires us to clean our race so that we will finish better than when we were breaking God's law. Because really it's about us and our race, isn't it? Sometimes we come to these pieces of Scripture. Maybe even that's why we started going to church in the first place. Because I just wanted some self-help. I wanted a better me. Because, you know, that's what the world needs is a great me. Whoever me is forgetting that greater than the world needs you, it needs him. And you might be that conduit that he's going to use. So yes, the world does not need a better you. It needs a better conduit of you to let him flow through you so that you can love your neighbor as Jesus is loving your neighbor so that your neighbor can understand God's redemptive love. Whoever that neighbor and whatever the situation is, That's why when we say that everything we do at the Refuge Christian Church is about restoring relationships with God, it's to try to get this mindset in us as followers of Jesus Christ that we are conduits of Jesus Christ's love. That he can use us, he wants to use us so that others can encounter his redemptive love in and through us. It also reminds us that it's not just action, it's speaking it, right? Like we see there in verse Twelve. We also need to testify to why we love our neighbors, even when they're unlovable. But friends, when we learn to run a clean race, it will not only impact our own race and our own racing, but notice as this text points out, it will also impact the lives in the race of life all around us. When we speak and act, we get to show mercy because we've been shown mercy, don't we? We get to play a first-seat-level impact on the lives of everybody that God puts in our lives. Everybody that walks through the doors of our employment or everybody that we get to serve if our employment is going to them. Everybody uh, that we work with, everybody that calls your home their home and their home your home. Every in law, every outlaw that you come in contact with, you have the privileged opportunity to love them as Christ would love them. When we are keeping the scriptures, we will be loving our neighbors as ourselves and we will be subject to God and His Word. Bottom line today is this clean up your race with the standard of the scriptures and the mercy of the Messiah. We need both. We need the truth, but we also need grace. We need truth to remind us that we're not good racers. So we need grace in those moments so that we can know that righteousness is not based on my works and my goodness, but it's based on my faith in His goodness. But on account of that, that also opens up the door for me to be merciful to those around me that need mercy while pointing them to the standard of God's scriptures, the truth that it's going to help us live with more freedom because we are living in God's way, satisfying his will so that he can get more glory over our story as we make him known to those around us. Let's clean up our racing with the standard of the scriptures and the mercy of the Messiah so that not only we can finish better, But those around us, maybe they stopped after mile nine and and they need a ride. (laughs) Don't break down to give them an idea that they can cheat on their own. Give them that ride to the finish line so that even in their finishing well, you can realize that you can take more with you and I can take more with me because we've learned to clean up our race with the standard of the scriptures and the mercy of the Messiah. It could be that uh, maybe you're here today, and you've never said that you want Jesus' blood to cover you in your sinfulness. You've never said, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've said, or you prayed a prayer, you saw an evangelist on TV, but you're ready to engage the sacrament of baptism and say, you know what, I wanna join Jesus in the grave so that I can join him in the resurrection. If you need to make a decision like that, or if you just want to be prayed with as the um, band comes and plays a song for us, please meet me here and uh, let's stand together and I'll pray and uh, we'll close our worship service. Lord, we just thank you for your love for us. Sometimes we want it to be more about us. Sometimes we want to be able to run a clean race apart from you. And so, God, thank you for your mercy that cleans us up. And for your standard that reminds us that we haven't been racing clean all along and that shows us what clean racing really looks like. And God, I pray that that will affect our living. I pray that this encourages us to get in your word and to figure out your ways. Most importantly, God, we pray for opportunities to impact other people so that they can know you as we know you. As the sovereign God that when we screw up, instead of shaming us, instead of cutting us off for good, You discipline us, but you bring us back into your family and show us how loved we are, how wanted we are, because we are yours. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't have that satisfaction of knowing they are yours, would you compel them to come up here today so I can pray with them and, and care for them as you do? And would you cause us to do that with everyone we're in contact with? Give us permission to pray in our workplaces and in our communities for and with people that are in need of you so that we can impact this region and the globe with your love. In Jesus we pray.